your Bibles, uh, Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Um, today we're tar- starting a series called Finished. This came out of John's gospel. Actually, John said this in uh, 19, uh, 28 and 30. Uh, Jesus was on the cross, and one of the things he said is uh, he was thirsty, and they lifted up a, a sponge with a hyssop stick with some sour wine on there, and Jesus drank it and said, it is finished. And that's where we get our series title, It Is Finished. Now, many, many of us think, and uh, one of the things that we threw around the creative process of the message, many of us think, well, he was just talking about his life on earth, which is true. It, that was finished as well. Uh, but that word uh, finished uh, in English uh, does, far, it far, falls very short of what the, uh, the word that Jesus used. And we're going to talk about that next week. We're going to talk that, about that a little bit, but there's so much depth in that, in that word, it is finished. And we're going to be talking about that over the next three weekends. But today, uh, I want to look at, and I've titled today's message, The Fulfillment of Scripture, the fulfillment of scripture. Uh, and I want you to see that Jesus, uh, uh, you know, he obviously is going to fulfill scripture. He is God, but he's also man. And it's so important, uh, not only to the Jews, but to us, that the Messiah fulfills uh, not just one scripture, but every scripture. And if you're new to the Bible, there's uh, uh, over hundreds of scriptures spoken about the Messiah from Genesis uh, on up to when Jesus comes to earth. There's hundreds of scriptures uh, written over thousands of years. And uh, it's so important that the Messiah fulfills every single one of them. You can't miss any of them. Every single one of them are fulfilled. And Jesus, uh, if you don't know this, Jesus fulfilled every scripture spoken about the Messiah. Uh, now, there's still some that's going to be fulfilled with the second coming, and we believe he'll come again, as he, as he said, because he's fulfilled all the other ones. He's been faithful with everything else. We can trust that his coming is coming soon. Uh, and we, we just finished a, a series in Thessalonians, if you were with us. If you're new with us, you can catch all those. But uh, we talk about his second coming and what he said and all of of those things uh, in our series we just came out of. But today I want to talk about the dramatic fulfillment. Dramatic. Not only does God fulfill scripture, but dramatically he fulfills scripture. Uh, really, Palm Sunday, what do we think about? When we think about Palm Sunday, what do you think about? That right there, don't you? You think about that right there. A little palm. I didn't give it to you pre-service because you would not hear a word I said. You'd be beating your neighbor with it. So you will get it after service. We know. Uh, We just talked about children's ministry. We're all like children when we get a little palm stick. It just is crazy what it does to you. Um, But but this is what we think about, right? The palm branches and that they wave the palm branches. And then after service, you make them into a cross. Um, I did not make this. I cannot make this. So thankfully, somebody made this for me. But many of you will be making all kinds of different crosses and different things with your, with your palm branch or, uh, or beating up your kids or whatever you want to do with that. But it's going to be, but really that's what you think about. But I want to talk about the dramatic fulfillment, what Palm Sunday represented, uh, this holy week uh, that, we, uh, that we celebrate and honor. And this is really, it wasn't the, the start uh, of the crucifixion. Obviously, Jesus' whole life was walking towards the crucifixion. But holy week, uh, we look at it as holy week because we know what happened. We're sitting here looking back. We know that Jesus went to the cross, he died, he raised from the dead. We know those things, but I'm telling you, that week was difficult. Uh, it was holy because God is holy, and it was set apart for his purposes, uh, but it was a difficult week. Starting with uh, Palm Sunday, now it started out with a great day that maybe your Bible calls it the triumphal entry, but uh, Jesus fulfills prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. 9, uh, this is what it says about the Messiah. When the Messiah comes in Zechariah, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, their king is coming to you. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the full of a donkey. Now, this is what's promised, that the Messiah would come in riding on a donkey. Now, this isn't like um, just some prophecy that was just 
lofted up there that, uh, that you can't understand. Actually, uh, the Jews would have really understood this. Actually, it's written to Jewish, the Israel. It's written to, O daughter of Zion. It's, these are Jewish people. It's a city. O daughter of Jerusalem. That's a city in Israel. And so this is written to Jewish people. Jesus is Jewish. And so they would have understand the scripture when it was spoken. They also would understand because kings, would, uh, when they would come riding into their city, whether they're a new king, uh, if they were just anointed to be king, they would come riding in the, into their city. And if they were riding on a donkey, they were bringing peace to their city. And if they would come riding in on a, on a stallion or a white horse, it would be war. And so that king, this, this would not have been new. They would have understood. So when Jesus came riding in on a colt, what were they saying? The Messiah is coming to bring peace to Israel, peace to Jerusalem. And so this would have been something they would have understood. But these, this is prophetic in a sense that Zechariah was written well before Jesus. I mean, we're talking uh, hundreds of years before Christ. Uh, he was one of the minor prophets, but he wrote the Messiah, the Lord, would ride it on a colt. And rejoice and shout and worship and praise when he came riding. This all would have been happening. In fact, Psalm 118 says, save now. What does save now mean? Hosanna. Hosanna, save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity, send blessing, send salvation, rescue, help, all of those things. That's what Hosanna means. So uh, the Jews, they weren't just doing something to do something. They recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the king. Now, he wasn't the physical king of Israel. There was another king over Israel. But what they were saying is, you are are the king. You are the Lord. You are God riding in on a colt, just like Zechariah said. And all of this praise, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna on the highest, palm branches waving. They're putting their cloaks down, just like Eric, when he wrote that song, they were putting everything down. We had some fun. You put your iPhone down, all those things. When Jesus comes, trust me, you're not going to care about your iPhone and phones, although uh, that's hard to believe. But you'll be laying all that down and that's what they were doing. They were literally, they weren't running home and getting their coats and then putting them down. They, they saw the king come and they recognized the Messiah was coming out of cult. They took off their cloaks or their, their jackets. They laid them on the ground. They laid the palm branches on the ground. They made their own red carpet for the king. This was in respect and reverence and honor. And it only happens when you, were, when you were worshiping and honoring a king. Now, this was a messianic king. This was more than just a king of, an, of a nation. This was the, this was the Messiah and so they were praising and worshiping and singing. Psalm 148 says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord for heavens, praise him in the heights. And these were words that were being expressed that Palm Sunday, that triumphal entry when Jesus walked in. Now I say it's a dramatic fulfillment because it wasn't just that Jesus came in on a donkey. Obviously, Jesus is God, but he's also man. And this and this. Uh, and since Jesus is man, he doesn't see things eternally insane, and it's hard to understand in our finite imagination, but God doesn't operate in time. You know, we operate in 24-7, seven days a week, one year, decade, lifetime, generation. That's how we live. Now, time, God created that, but God can see everything in an instant, in a second, in one moment. But Jesus, as a man, couldn't see that. He was like us. He had a flesh like us. He had a spirit like us. When he got baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him. He, he had a, the Holy Spirit residing in him like us. He talked to the Father just like we can talk to the Father. He prayed just like he did. He had to walk out and be faithful to the scriptures. In fact, he lived it out perfectly. He never sinned. And Jesus, in this moment, he would have known the Messianic 
prophecies. But it wasn't like Jesus is checking off boxes. Okay, I gotta fill this one today and this one today. He just, he is God and he was God and he was just being God. And it was so dramatic in the sense that even though Zechariah says the Messiah will come riding on a colt, it's so powerful. Jesus says in Mark chapter one, let's read it together and then we'll, we'll just kind of talk through it. Mark chapter 11, verse one. He says this, now when they drew near to Jerusalem to, to Bethage at Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the village opposite of you and soon as you have entered it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it there. So they went on their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing, loosening that colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded and said, let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus, and their clo- they put their clothes on it, and he sat on it, and many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he looked out at all things, as the hour was already late, he went into Bethany with the twelve. Now, that is a dramatic fulfillment of scripture. And you may say, well, why? Why is that dramatic? Well, think about it. Let's Uh, He said he chose two disciples. So let's, you be a disciple and I'll be a disciple. We go talk to Jesus and Jesus says, hey, insert your name, disciple. I want you to go into Oakdale and when you get there, you're gonna find a donkey tied up there and I want you to go take that donkey. Now, I don't know what kind of disciple you'll be, but maybe you're one that's a disciple that has a lot of faith. All right, let's go. Let's go into Oakdale, let's get the donkey. Maybe you're like a skeptical disciple. Any any skeptical disciples? Jesus, really? You want me to go steal a donkey? You want me to go into Oakdale and just take somebody's donkey? Or maybe you're even more skeptical. I'm really gonna go into Oakdale and find a donkey tied up? It's dramatic because Jesus is speaking about something that forward, he doesn't see it, he, but he knows it's true. He knows it's real. As God, he has the innate, miraculous, supernatural ability to tell you what's gonna happen. That's, that's not just dramatic, that's crazy good. What if God told you as you walked out today, you were gonna walk into a, a restaurant, you're gonna see this and see that, and exactly what Jesus said had happened exactly. How would you feel? That was a good day, Jesus. I think you'd be pretty excited, wouldn't you? If you walked into Oakdale and be like, the cult, there he is. Maybe you're not that energetic. (laughs) There's the cult. It doesn't matter, but you'd be blown away. Your mind would be blown. But then remember, we're just like the two. Jesus said, we gotta go take it. How would you feel? I mean, now, these, remember, these disciples have been with Jesus the whole time. You've been with just Jesus the whole time. So you've seen him raise the dead. You've seen him feed people with nothing. You've seen him uh, turn water into wine. I mean, you've seen him turn a blind man into scene. You've seen him pick up a, a dead child and they come back to life. You've seen all of these things. So it's not impossible to walk into Oakdale and see the donkey. It's not impossible. You've seen all these other things. That's surely a lot easier than raising someone from the dead. 
But, but as a skeptical disciple, God really wants me to steal someone's donkey. With the, I mean, does he not know the, first, the commandments? Do not steal? Does he not know the commandments? But you go, but remember, Jesus didn't say go steal the donkey. He said, hey, if they ask you, just tell them I need it and they'll give it to you. I don't think you get what I just said. Another, trans, another gospel says a stranger, a stranger is the one that said, hey, what are you doing? But just imagine you're one of those disciples, you're walking up to the donkey. You must have been suspicious because a stranger said, what are you doing with that colt? So they weren't very good at stealing donkeys is what I'm saying. They're over there. <laughs> they weren't very good thieves. And the guy says, what do you do with that donkey? And they said, Jesus needs it. Cool, take it. What would you have been feeling like if they said that? Exactly like Jesus said. It's there. It's never been ridden before. And somebody's going to say something. And I, I, if I was one of the disciples, I would have been walking up that donkey. Please, God, don't let anybody see what I'm doing. I'm going to say, Jesus, I know you said someone's going to ask, but Lord, just let me take the donkey and go. But they did say something. They said Jesus needed it. And they said, okay, take it. That's dramatic, isn't it? That's crazy. Zechariah says he'll come riding. He didn't say any of this other stuff. That just really adds to the amazement of Jesus. It's so hard to describe how good God is. It's so hard to describe how amazing Jesus is. But Jesus is so good to us that he saw this situation in his mind or in his heart, and he described it exactly the way it would be. And the disciples walked in just like they said. The donkey was there. The colt was there. It had never been ridden. I mean, put that in terms today, because we don't ride donkeys too often today, do we? I mean, it would be like walking in, not even a car dealership. Like, it'd be like walking into Ferrari and getting into their brand new model that's out that's never been ridden. I mean, zero on the odometer, no miles at all. No one's driven it. No one's touched the wheel. It'd be like just showing up on their factory. It just came out of the factory. You get in, you shut the door, you start it up. You don't need keys anymore. You just start it up. Hey, what are you doing? Jesus needs this. Cool, take it. Awesome! <laughs> that would be great. Except for you can't drive it because Jesus is going to be the first rider, right? I'd, have a, I'd struggle with that. I, I would have jumped on the donkey. I'm just saying. I might have jumped on there. but That's pretty dramatic, isn't it? That's pretty crazy. But that's what the Messiah does. He fulfills scripture exactly the way God spoke it. He doesn't forget that it would be a cult. He doesn't forget that it would ever be written. He doesn't forget any of those things. He doesn't forget that the people will worship. Now, he doesn't make them do that. He doesn't make the people worship him. He doesn't force them. He doesn't walk around and say, now, take this palm branch. And when I walk through, you just wave that and sing the song. Here's the, here's the words. That's not what he does. The Jews knew the scriptures. The Jews knew the Messiah would come riding on a donkey. The Jews also knew that they would praise and worship the Messiah, that they would be singing Hosanna on the highest. They knew that this would happen. And when Jesus came riding on a colt, they worshiped, they praised. They sang Hosanna on the highest. They waved the branches. Not only did they wave them, but they laid down out of respect and honor and privilege. They laid down their coats, their livelihood. They laid down who they were 
on the floor so that the king, the king could walk in with respect and honor of his people, with unity. I mean, this, this is as dramatic, and not in a drama, because when we think dramatic, we think the, some of the shows that we watch, the drama shows, reality TV, I'm not talking about that, because that's all fake anyway, they're just making money. But I'm talking about this is Jesus fulfilling prophecy. This is the Messiah that was promised to come coming, and he's here, and he's being received, he's being welcomed, he's being honored, exactly like Scripture says. And he fulfills Scripture. Second, it's a dramatic correction. Again, the fulfillment of Scripture in Malachi 3, verse 1. Again, hundreds of years before Christ. Malachi says, look, I'm sending you my messenger on ahead to clear the way for me. Suddenly, out of the blue, the leader you've been looking for will enter his temple. Yes, the messenger, the Messiah of the covenant, the one you've been waiting for. Look, he's on the way. A message from the mouth of God of the angel armies. Here's the Messiah. Here's the one you've been waiting for. He's right here in your temple, in your synagogue. There he is. He's riding in on a colt, just like promised. The people are worshiping and praising. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Save us, rescue us, free us. These weren't just casual words. They were saved for the Messiah. And all of these people are worshiping. And Jesus is being honored finally for the king that he is. Then it got late. As the Bible says in different, uh, the different, I think it's in Matthew, it says, and they went home. And the next day they came back to that same place, that same synagogue, the same place they just walked in and they honored Christ. And he walked into the synagogue. And Matthew's gospel records, it's recorded in Mark as well, but, uh, but Matthew gives us a little more context. So let's read it out of Matthew uh, it's in verse uh, 20, or chapter 21, verses 12 through 17. Here's what it says. So he walks into this temple and watch this. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who, brought, who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables and money changers and the seats of the house who sold doves. And he said that him as written in my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have turned, made it into a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things, look at what it says, saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna. They were mad, they were ignorant. And they said to him, do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said to them, have you not read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Then he left them and went out to the city of Bethany and lodged there. Again, this dramatic correction, but yet fulfillment. He just was honored as the Messiah walking in. And then the next day he comes into the temple. And these scribes and these priests and these Levites, they've lost their focus. They've lost their purpose. They've lost their understanding of God's heart. And Jesus walks in, and instead of this being a house of prayer, a house of praise, a house that is honoring and exalting the name of God, it's become a place where they rob and thieve people. It's come, because in those times they sacrificed animals. They would sacrifice doves and animals. Doves were for the poor. 
They would sacrifice because of what they've done, their sins. They would take that sacrifice and say, God, I'm sorry, and they'd sacrifice the animal. And here they are in their lobby selling them at exaggerated prices. The poor can't even afford it, and they're selling them. They can't even sacrifice because they can't afford. And Jesus walks in and starts flipping tables, flipping the money changers' tables. Money's going everywhere. That's pretty dramatic, isn't it? Imagine, imagine a service like that. Not here. But imagine Jesus walking in and just flipping tables over, saying, what are you doing? This is supposed to be a house of prayer and you've made it a place where you're taking people's money, you're thieving, you're deceiving, you don't care about them. You've lost your focus. Have you ever lost your focus? We all have, haven't we? We've all taken our eyes off Christ and made it about us. And here Jesus walks into a, a synagogue of all places, a place of prayer, a place of praise and worship. And we've made it about us. They've made it about them. And Jesus corrects them. At the same time, he's fulfilling scripture. At the same time, Malachi says, here's the Messiah walking into your temple. Here's the Messiah walking right into your place. The one you've been waiting for, the one spoken of, the one promised, here he is. But you know, because we are people of drama, did you see what God did? Of course he corrected but the sentence after that, you almost lose it because there's so much happening, don't you? You almost lose the next sentence, which is miraculous in itself. It says he was flipping the tables and he corrected them and said, this is a, supposed to be a house of prayer, not a den of feast. Then he says he healed the blind and he healed the lame and the sick. He healed them. So he's flipping tables over. I just can't imagine. I, I, I just would love to have been there at that moment. He's flipping tables over. He's correcting them, healing this guy and healing that guy. And he's over here healing this guy. I know it was more intimate and personal than that. But I'm just saying because we, we like the drama. We focus on the dramatic. But it was truthful and right and needed to be done. That we miss all that God is. Yes, God, part of, part of worship and part of lordship is, is that he is going to correct us from time to time. And that correction is good. That correction is needed. But notice God's heart. Yes, he's the judge. Yes, he's the healer. And yes, he blesses. All at the same time. You see a God that's faithful and good in all aspects. Fulfilling scripture after scripture, moment after moment, second after second, day in and day out of his life. He's fulfilling the messianic scriptures. Did you notice the, the next sentence? So the adults, the scribes, the priests, the Levites, they're mad. And the kids, what are they doing? What are the kids doing, the children? They're praising and worshiping. How is it that the adults are misguided and distracted and the kids are pure? If you're a parent, sometimes you get it, don't you? How many of you guys, your kids have taught you something? Well, here in this case, the people that should be pointing to Jesus are, are distracted and misguided and deceiving. Yet the kids are coming in saying, Hosanna, here's the Messiah. Hosanna, here's the king. Hosanna, the son of David, here he is. Isn't that amazing that the children recognize the Messiah? But those that were probably getting paid were missing the Messiah and mad. And upset. 
And Jesus says to them, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. That wasn't just a slogan. That just wasn't a term that came straight out of Deuteronomy. And they knew it. And they knew it. Let me just tell you something. Everything changed after that moment. What we know is Holy Week began right here. That week became more complicated. The, the scribes, the Levites, everybody was upset. They wanted to get rid of this man. They knew, they knew that he was claiming to be the Messiah, and they didn't like it. So this began all the accusations. This began all of the, the court cases. This began all the things that were leading up to the cross. Now, I say this began because these are just the circumstances. You know, his whole life was leading up to the cross, but this is the moment when things shifted and things turned. Jesus had many moments where they didn't like him. They were upset at him. But this is the one that began the path to the cross. And this Holy Week that we recognize and honor and exalt, and we should. But this week got very complicated. Jesus leaves this temple heals the lame, heals the blind, embraces the worship of the children, corrects the ones that are wrong. Then he walks into the Last Supper. He walks into moments of uh, just the last final moments of his life. And that's how I want to close today is his final hours. What's, and I'm going to call it to be finished because next week we're going to talk about the finished work of Christ. But today I want to talk about what's to be finished. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. He hasn't died for our sins yet. But right now, he's in a place where just every day things are happening. He's washing the disciples' feet. He's telling them, hey, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to die. I'm going to go to the cross. He's also telling them, look, I am going to die, but I'm going to raise on the third day. Don't forget that. And he's telling the disciples prophetically again, just like the donkey. He's telling them this is what's going to happen. And then he has this final moment of prayer. Many of you have read this prayer. Maybe many of you have seen this, or if you've watched The Passion, you see this moment in the garden. And I want to read that to you. Because I, just, I really love not only the, the uh, power of this prayer, but I also love that we can relate to what Jesus is saying. If you turn to Mark 14, this is where you'll find the prayer. Mark chapter 14. Starting in verse 48. Nope. Lied. 32. 14.32. It says, Then they came to a place which named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and they began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, the disciples, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that it was possible, that if it were possible that hour, that it might pass for him. And he said, Father, Abba, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came, found Peter sleeping. Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not stay awake one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed, Jesus speaking. 
and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, and their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came a third time and said to them, are you sleeping again and resting? Is it, it's enough. The hours come, behold, the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, with a great multitude with swords and clubs came from the chief priests and scribes and the elders. So here's one of the last moments, the final hours, Jesus praying. And I, there's just a couple parts of this prayer I just thought I would highlight for us because I think it really speaks to us. But I love what Jesus said. He said, my soul is sorrowful even to death. Jesus was feeling the weight spiritually what was about to happen physically. Inside, it was God knew. He knew. He was a man like us. He had a flesh like us. And I love that he responded to both. His flesh was saying, oh God, can you let this, is there another way? Can you let this pass? But also in his spirit, he knew what he was about to do was take all the sins of the world upon himself. He knew that Hosanna was a reality, that he was gonna save and rescue and free every single person that would receive him in the world. But as the Messiah, he took on every sin, all humanity. Now to make it real personal, because God doesn't see outside the space of time, he saw you, he saw me. You know, Jesus is great and it's so hard to understand and put our minds around about how great he is. But the truth is, is he knew your name. He knew my name. He didn't overlook any person. And I like to think about that moment of prayer. God has seen every face, every name, every sin, every mistake, everything that we've ever committed, the weight of that. And not just the sins of us sitting here, but the sins of the Old Testament of all those before and the sins of those that aren't born yet. Because that's the wonderful blessing of Jesus because he doesn't live outside of, he lives outside of space and time is that he, that one sacrifice of the pure lamb of God cleanses sins of all humanity. Past, present, future. So your grandkids that aren't born yet, he was sacrificed for them. He saw their sins on that day. He knew their name on that day. Scripture says he knows how many hairs are on all of our heads. Scripture says that he knows our names. He knows who we are before we're even born. Before we even knit in our womb, he knew the destiny that we had. And Jesus is sitting in that prayer garden saying, God, Father, Dad, this is a lot. This is a huge weight. And I love how he prayed. He said, Abba, Father. Or before that, he said, look at, look at what he says in the flesh. He went a little further, fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And then he talked to the Father and he said, Father, all things are possible for you. How many of you guys have said a prayer like that? And Jesus said, God, is there another way? I know in you all things are possible, but is there another way? Remember, Jesus is a man. This is God in the flesh. 
He senses the flesh just like us, and he senses the pressure. He senses the gravity, the weight of this moment. He knew what he was walking into. He knew these next couple moments that they were coming to arrest him. He was going to be betrayed. He was going to be pay for every single. He's going to pay the debt for all of our sins, and he knew it wasn't going to be good. God, is there a way out? I think all of us have prayed that prayer, haven't we? God, you can do all things. All things are possible in you. But it's the next part we don't ultimately say, do we? I love Jesus' next portion of his prayer. Even though that's what my flesh says, I don't want my will to be done, I want your will to be done. Even his, he was submitting to authority in that moment. My flesh says, I don't want this. My flesh says, is there another way? But my spirit says, I want your will, not mine. In that moment, I want your will, not mine. It's true, all things are possible. But let's not manipulate our prayers and tell God how to answer them. Jesus said, I don't like this. I'd love for it to be another way. But if this is what you have for me, I accept it. I receive it. And I'm so thankful as the Messiah, he walked it out. That he fulfilled it. I think if we could take anything away from this service and this message and God's heart here. Is that we can trust him. It's not always easy, but we can trust him. We wouldn't be sitting here today if Jesus didn't trust Jesus his father and walk through it and die for our sins. Eternity would be an option if Jesus took another way. If he took his will and said, I'm gonna do that. I know what you want, but I don't want it. I'm so thankful Jesus values you and values me enough to say, I'm gonna pay your price. I'm gonna pay your debt. The stripes on my back are gonna be for you, for your healing. That the oppression, the mocking, the, the whipping, all of that that's about to happen, you're worth it, and you're worth it, and I'm worth it. You see, when he said, I'm finished, it's finished, it means more than just that his life was over. And I love as soon as he finished that prayer and Verse 43 says, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, with a great multitude with swords and clubs came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. So the same people that he walked in and was flipping the tables over, the same people were now there to arrest him. But it was Judas that betrayed him. It was Judas that said, hey guys, I know where he is. It was Judas that said, hey, I know where he prays because he was one of the 12. And remember, that fulfills prophecy too, doesn't it? Because Jesus was sitting at the Last Supper and said, one of you will betray me. And he clearly said it was Jesus. And the one came, betrayed him with money and with a kiss, just like Scripture said. But yet they came with weapons. They came with things that they didn't need to. God was not a murderer. He was not a thief he was not a 
brutal person. He was not a person that was unreasonable, yet they came with clubs and swords like he was like he was somebody that needed to be protected from. And I love what Jesus says in verse 48. He's speaking to Judas and those that are arresting him. And he said, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but the scriptures, and this is where the title of the scriptures must be fulfilled. They must be fulfilled. Yes, it was unfair. Yes, it wasn't right. Yes, Jesus was innocent. How would you would have reacted if you were there? What does the scripture say? Isaiah 57 says this about this moment. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. This is what I, I simply respect and honor about Jesus. He was innocent. He didn't do anything wrong. If I was innocent and people came to arrest me, I don't know what I'd do, but it wouldn't be. I don't, I don't know if I could do like Jesus did. They came with clubs and swords. The disciples got all huffy. They started throwing swords around. Peter lopped off a guy's ear. And think about this. When you think about the Messiah, the Lord, Peter lops the guy's ear off. It's not pleasant. It's not good, is it? And the Messiah comes over and picks the ear up and puts it back on. I don't think I'd arrest the guy in that moment, but they did. They still arrested him. But Jesus did not put up a fight. He didn't yell. He didn't shout. It says he was silent. And he went, just like Scripture said he would. It's not fair. But without it, we wouldn't have what we have today. Jesus in himself lived perfectly. But in that moment, he began the exchange. your sin debt. I'm paying your amount of years in prison. I'm paying all of that. Taking it all upon myself because I love you. It's pretty amazing to think that this holy week and Sunday we have a Messiah that's so selfless. It's not about him. He's thinking about you and he's thinking about me. He's thinking about every person in humanity. The weight of that, the amount of sin that he took, the amount of pressure and the amount of debt that he took he took it all every single piece he didn't miss one there's not one sin great enough that he didn't take he took it all he paid every debt he paid every price even for those that would not receive him he paid their price it wasn't about the reception whether you believe Jesus or not it was that I love that the son of God came and died for the whole world that they all might be saved, that we all might be saved. The price has been paid, the debt has been paid, it's finished in that sense. But today, I just want you to think about the selflessness of God. You know, notice when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the very few words that he said, 
some to his father. And then he looked down at his mom and said, John, take care of my mom. Mom received John. Selfless. I love you. Thinking about you. So I thought about this week as we step out of and we think about Holy Week, I just want us to have the heart of God, the heart of Christ. We think about this week, we think about what he went through. I I don't think I need to spall it all out there, what he did. But what I want you to know is he's thinking about you and me. That he's that much of a loving God that he knew your name in that moment. He knew your situations in that moment. He knew your sins that you committed and haven't committed. And he was still faithful to say, I'll pay it for you. And when he was on that cross, I believed he, he saw every person in humanity. I believe he saw you and your neighbor and your friend and your son and your daughter and your coworker and your, whoever it is, I believe God saw it all. He said, yes, yes, I love them and I'm paying the price, yes. So this week, I, let's have his heart. Look, there's some empty seats here. What if that seat was your son, your daughter, your neighbor, your coworker? Think about maybe somebody that's really hurting and needing Jesus right now. Maybe you know that name right now, maybe you don't. Maybe you're sitting here and the Holy Spirit's already saying, hey, you need to reach out to this person, this person, that person. Maybe you're sitting here today and say, well, I don't know yet. But I want, I want us to walk through this next week with God's heart to say, God, give me the opportunity. Let's be like those disciples when Jesus said, I want you to go to Oakdale and there'll be a cult there. Would you be one to say, I'll go? Or would you be the one that says, hey, I want you to go. I want you to talk to Jenny. She needs me right now. Would you be the one to say, God, I'll do it. I'll go untie Jenny from that oppression, that disease, that I'll go be the one that brings the good news of Christ for salvation, for freedom. Would you be that person? I just want us to unite together and say, God, we want your heart. I don't know how it's going to look. I don't know. That's part of the dramatic. That's part of the supernatural. But what if God took your everyday relationships that you have with your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, your friends? And I'm not asking you to reach every single one of them. I'm just saying just one. One. Just one. One for Christ. Because he sees them on the cross. He knows what they need. And he died for them too. Why don't you stand your feet? I just want to pray with you. We're going to worship together here in a second. And Catherine will lead us in prayer. And our teams will be here to pray for you. But before I do, every head bowed. And I'm going to have the team dim the lights a little bit. But if you're here this morning and you already have the name, you already know the person that God's calling you to reach out to. You don't know how it's going to happen, but you're willing. You're just saying, God, I'll, I'll do it. Would you just lift your hand? If you know the name right now, just lift it up there. Jesus, thank you. Holy Spirit, I pray for that moment, that day. Maybe it's Tuesday or Thursday, or maybe it's at work or at home. God, I pray for them. I pray, give them the faith. Give them the passion. Give them the excitement. Give them the love that you have for them. 
for those of you that are here, maybe you don't know the name yet, but you're willing to open your heart and say, God, show me. And you're just, right now, you're just agreeing with the Holy Spirit saying, God, I, I don't know it yet, but I'm willing. When you show it to me, I'll do it. If that's you, would you just put your hand up as well? Thank you, thank you, thank you. A lot of hands. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for doing it for us. Lord, would you do it for them? Lord, I know that's not a question. You have already done it. You will. But Lord, would you speak into our hearts? Give us the faith. Show us the name. Show us the person. You already know. You already know. And so, God, we're just asking you to download your heart into us. Lord, show us what you want us to say. What do you want us to do? Give us an opportunity. Got a conversation, a moment, whatever it be. Supernaturally, lead us to the cult and let us bring the cult to you. And so, God, we pray that symbolically for this person, whoever that may be, show us who it is and let us bring them to you. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said, amen. Let's worship.